This is Kurt. And this is Tracy. And this is the MFG Cast. how you're gonna say something but then you didn't because we both we both not gasped but we both went <gasps> yeah like, like we were gonna say something else yeah. and that's why i stopped who will talk first i was gonna say hey 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 yep okay do it i did it hey 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 hey, hey. welcome to everybody another board games episode of the mfg cast this time we're gonna be doing a preview of two games two of three games that are gonna be on kickstarter from daily magic games it's weird. Usually we have something before we talk about some before we have like an episode or something. So it's kind of interesting that we don't uh, have anything. But I'll go through the the things that you should say before you do a preview. We got some prototypes of some games that are coming out on Kickstarter. We got two out of the three. Daily Magic is gonna do like a three for basically and do a Kickstarter for three different games in the Valeria realm right that's right that's what Mm -hmm. daily magic is pretty much known for is their valeria kingdom kind of games and stuff like that and this is not not any different we're able to get previews or we were able to get prototypes of siege of valeria and thrones of valeria with a third uh being on that kickstarter what is that one called the third one's called dice kingdoms of valeria which is their role and write nice. in this series that they're going to be releasing. Very cool. Yeah. I've always been excited about any Valeria game that comes out through them because I've enjoyed it. We've have, what do we have? We have Valeria Card Kingdoms. We also have Villages of Valeria, which apparently is very hard to say, and Quest of Valeria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've enjoyed every one of those games, actually, which is great. And their art is consistent it seems like throughout this would you call it a series of games yeah i would call it like uh the universe of games maybe. yeah their universe yeah. of the valeria games yeah the same artist the miko which i i love that name is that really what that's it? literally that oh. i don't know i i i will i'll be honest i don't know if that is a person or if that is a group of people but it's always the art has always been done for the valeria stuff through the Miko, I'm pretty sure. Interesting. As you can tell by the art, it looks very similar in yep that style. Yeah, it looked very similar in these two prototypes we received from them also. Yeah, that is true. Sweet. Uh, so let's get started. Let's talk about one of the one of the first games that we were able to preview, and that is the Siege, or it's called Siege of Valeria. I always want to put the Siege of Valeria, but it's called the Siege of Valeria. And that makes it sound too fancy. It really does. Or very formal. Maybe it does. I shouldn't say fancy. I should say formal. 
That's true. So Siege of Valeria. Yeah. And uh... Siege of Valeria is a dice and card game designed by Glenn Flaherty. If you don't know who Glenn Flaherty is, he goes by Board Games and Bourbon. He has a successful YouTube channel. This is a game where you're defending a fortress in Valeria as these hordes and hordes of people are there to attack it. So basically they call this game a, it's a tower defense game. Oh, I'm like, I'm looking at you going, what would you call it? A fighting game? Yeah. So, you know, how are we setting up, up, how are we playing this game? Let's just go through a, like a quick synopsis. synopsis of how this game is kind of set up to play. So in the prototype, and I would imagine it's very, very similar to how it's going to roll out on Kickstarter, but basically what you have is a wall that you set up at the bottom of the table, and it has spaces for five places to hold champions. Yep. Throughout the game. And I think they call those the turrets, as I think is what they call them. Oh, yeah. Yep, you're right. And then on that wall also are spaces that hold, they called that something too, but they hold basically flames. Yeah, it's like damage you're taking to your fortress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that happens throughout the game when you aren't able to defend your, while well, you're playing the game, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what you're doing is you're making a five by five grid above this wall that would include the vanguard, which is the first five of the troop that are basically standing in front of the wall. Mm -hmm. And then three other rows besides that and then a row of the siege. Yeah, which is resides at the top. The siege engines is what they're called. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the siege engines are going to be the toughest and basically the the name of the game is to beat all of the siege engines before you either run out of all of those troop cards through the game or before a siege engine makes it to your wall in your vanguard and basically defeats you. Yeah, and that's at the end of your turn. So technically you could still, if a siege engine is in that first row of the vanguard, if you were able to defeat one of them before your turn is over, you would still be okay. But if it's lying there after your turn, then you would you lose. So basically, that's that's how you're doing, or that's how you're setting up the cards. Lastly, another way that you could lose would be if one of your turrets or one of those five spaces that I was talking about on the wall gets a fourth flame, basically gets fired at the fourth flame, and then you lose the game also. But we'll talk about how that can happen in a little bit. So in the rest of the setup, you're dealt two magic dice, so two blue dice, and five, do they call them fight dice? Soldier dice. And five soldier dice, which are the red dice. So you're starting at the beginning of the game with seven dice, And then you're also dealt randomly two troop cards, which the bottom of a troop card has some action, like some text that you're able to utilize to your advantage. So an example of some of the text on the bottom of a troop card would be potential for um, doubling the value of one of your rolled die or subtracting or... Adding on of 
plus one to one of your rolls. Or switching placement of one of your troop cards on the board. Mm -hmm. Something like that. You can only use the text on the bottom of the troop card once you acquire it. And how you acquire it is when you fight against it and you basically take it into your hand. But once you use it, it's discarded. So once you've set up the game, then what your basic goal would be is to roll those seven dice that you start with. And then you're going to look at each of those Siege Engine cards. And at the beginning of the game, they're all going to be on that fifth column. Mm -hmm. Or, no, row. not fifth column, fifth row. Mm -hmm. And you're going to look at their placement. So basically they have a... Range. Range mm -hmm. on there. And some of them will hit you in a range five. And some of them won't hit you until certain ranges. So any of them that hit you in the range that they're placed, you have to complete their effects at that time. So it could make you re-roll a dice that was a five mm -hmm. or get rid of a die or, you know, there's a lot of different things that it could make you do. And so you resolve the effects of any of your siege engines first. And then if you're playing the normal mode of this game, then an event would come out. And the events can be good, could be, or could help you, mm -hmm. could be beneficial. Some could add a little element of more of, even more of a challenge for you. Mm -hmm. So you might have to add more fight to the vanguard if they are a certain type of troop in the vanguard. Or I'm trying to think, you might lose some dice, mm -hmm. I believe. Um, but then they could be beneficial to you too. I can't think of even any beneficial cards right now. I think one of them was like add like two champions to your uh, uh, your wall, your fortress, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Which is which is cool. There's a there's a couple of different ones. I feel like we we came into contact with more negative ones than we did positive. Yeah. When we played well, this. I can only imagine that there wouldn't be as many of those oh, as sure. there would be the negative ones. Yeah, definitely. So then you then you address that, and then what you do is you take the dice that you rolled and you decide how you want to utilize them. So you basically have to decide how you're going to want to handle it because you need to, the name of the game is basically having to defeat all of the siege engines before all of your stack of troop cards run out, but you don't want to leave troop cards in your vanguard, which is that first row at the beginning above your fortress, because you're going to have, they're going to basically fire at your wall on each of those areas. So you have to really decide like how you want to handle it. Yeah, because the vanguard is always going to be the thing that attacks your fortress. The other troops above that and possibly your siege engines depending upon where they're located as far as how they attack will probably never attack you until they start moving down and we'll kind of talk about that in a little bit and then each each uh troop is actually has a that you either have an attack troop or you have a magic troop and mm -hmm. so like magic troops usually have a little bit of magic that you have to use to help fight and defeat them where the attack troop just has specifically attack but you can use your magic dice along with your soldier dice to help defeat those troops. So so really, it all depends on a few things. It depends on the rolls of your dice. 
And it depends on how you want to balance out and how you're able to use your dice to potentially think ahead. So you could have a siege engine that's going to attack you for something that's pretty painful the next time. There are some siege engines that will add two fire to your turret the next round that it's in or Mm. something like that. Well, you don't really want that to happen because you don't have very many choices to be able to have it attack you every time because once it does and once you hit four fire on there, then your game is done. So you have to kind of balance out, do I want to fight a siege engine and beat a couple of these cards and take them into my hand to use later? Like, what do I want to do? What am I able to do based on my role? Mm -hmm. Another way you can help manipulate those dice rolls and help you know, do things is what we talked about before is one of the things you do is use some troop cards. So if you start out with two troop cards in your hand, which help you manipulate certain things about the board and your dice, so you can use that. But also if once you actually defeat siege engines, you actually get to use what is called champions. And there's quite a bit of champion cards in, in a deck. I think there's like 18 or something like that. And every time you defeat a siege engine, you're able to take one of these champions and put it on one of your five turrets. Mm -hmm. And depending upon what you have there, what ability you have, you can use that during your turn. Whether it's giving you two magic for uh, like attack troops or being able to manipulate the board, like moving a card adjacent, you know, up or down one. Or like one of my favorite ones is you're able to do what's called overkill and if you defeat if you defeat a certain card to it then you can use most of the time it's too magic to defeat a siege card or something adjacent to it or whatever and like that's awesome because you have only have so much dice and so much so many numbers to defeat stuff but only having to use that two magic to be able to defeat something adjacent to that really helps out also with the champion cards some of them, once they're utilized, you just flip them over and you don't they don't refresh until the next round. Mm-hmm. Some of them are like a one-time use. Yep. So they'll indicate that on the champion card for the flip over or a trash can if you're done using it after mm-hmm. the first and last time that you can utilize it. Yep, yep. And another thing you can do with those champions too is you can also discard them during a round or turn or whatever and you can actually get rid of those flames which they call impact tokens impact i knew i knew they had a word i couldn't think of it (laughs) yeah so that's a a good way to not only utilize your champions for your turns to help manipulate the board and stuff and your cards and the dice but also a way to help get keep the impact away so you're not damaging the turret enough to where you lose the game yep so once you're done with the round or once you've utilized all of your dice and made all your moves, whether you are fighting troops and collecting those cards that you can use later, or you fought some siege engines and you've collected champions after you're done doing that, your round is over. And then what you're going to do is you're going to look at the vanguard or the first row that you have, and you're going to place impact tokens or those flames or the fire tokens on each of the turrets where you did not defeat a troop card. So let's say you fought against two troop cards in like the second and the fourth row. 
So the second and the fourth row are blank spaces. So those don't get any of those impact tokens, but the first, the third, and the fifth will. Then those three cards that you did not defeat will get discarded. The entire section will move down, or the entire board will move down. Yep. And also what we forgot to mention too is if any tokens are placed on those Vanguard cards, that we're going to be getting rid of at the end of the round because you didn't defeat them. If you have oh. some extra like uh, attack tokens or magic tokens on them, those actually have to progress to the next card up. Yep. Un- yes. Unless-, Unless there is not a card above it. Correct. And then they're yep. basically trashed for that round. Yep. So the entire board moves down and then you're going to look at each of the columns and see if you've defeated siege engines in any of those columns. And if you have, you're going to replace the siege engines in any columns you've defeated, but you're going to put it in the fifth row of each of those columns. Yep. So what that means is even if you have, like, say, one of the columns, you only have, like, three troop cards, and there's, like, an empty spot for the fourth and the fifth, you're going to put that siege card in the fifth spot but you're not going to move it down until the end of the next turn yep granted uh, a troop card doesn't fill that spot yeah i think and i think they have you do that because it gives you an advantage for some of the siege cards because some of the siege cards or siege engine cards don't attack on range five some do but some do not so i think that's maybe the strategy behind that And then once you've placed those Siege Engine cards on that fifth row um, or fifth column and row where you've needed to, then you place in the holes four troop cards. You can only replace with four troop cards and you'll only want to replace with four troop cards because if you'd fill up any of the empty holes that you had, the game could be over sooner. So you'll replace with four troop cards starting with the closest to the vanguard empty space and proceed with that and then you may still have empty holes throughout your board but that's okay you'll find out you kind of want it that way (laughs) because you you want to keep all the cards that you can and then you start over again you roll you address any of the siege engines that need to be addressed with any of their effects you flip over the event and then you fight. Yep. yep. And you keep going until you probably lose like I always do. <laughs> <laughs> because it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. It's it's well, it's it's challenging, I should say. Yeah. And like, and that's what a, sh- a solo game should be. Yeah. It should be it shouldn't be a thing where like you go and you're like, "Oh, I won again," you know, like Well, it wouldn't be fun then. It would be boring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think if you feel like it's really easy, or like you can just kind of breeze through this. They've also added, added. They've also added a campaign mode, mm-hmm. which they also sent us as a prototype, which was really cool. Where it adds additional troop cards that they gave us. It also gave us boss cards. It gave us, I think, more champions and. Um, not they're not called lords. What are they called? Mm, yeah, I can't remember, and I don't have it in Le- front of me. So. Some sort of leader card or something. Yeah. And you set up the 
there's a few more steps that you would do in the campaign mode. But basically what you're doing is you're playing three round or three games in a campaign like you kind of would in a campaign game Mm -hmm. to see how you do. So if you lose the first one, there's certain things you do to play it. If you win, there's certain things you do on that first game. Then you proceed to the second one and then you proceed to the third and then you find out based on the amount of points you scored or didn't score, then this is how you did in in Valeria. Yeah. Yeah, I like how they how they added the the bad guys that kind of help that kind of hurt you as the game goes on, but then you've got the big baddie that you have to fight and stuff like that. So you have to not only defeat the siege engines, but you have to defeat this big baddie too that really ramps it up. A lot of them, I think most of them have like a stage one and a stage two that you have to defeat them by. Yeah, what we played, we both wanted to play this. So when we played it, we still had it as a solo game, but we were kind of watching each other and kind of helping each other through mm-hmm. it. But we, when we played the campaign mode too, but when we played the campaign mode, the boss that came out towards the end of the game had two different times that we had to fight them. But when they came out, they also added additional magic, I think, to the yeah, Vanguard. Yeah, it was like magic. Well, I think it was... Two magic? I think it was... Was it the Vanguard or was it everybody? I think it was everybody. Well, it... Di- the troop cards. It was like two Either magic, way, it was ridiculous. Yeah, and, two so- and, and then two like attack to everybody on the second one or something like that. So in order to beat that game, you had to beat all the siege engines, beat the boss, but you had to beat the boss twice. Meanwhile, trying not to get your fortress destroyed the whole time, of course. And not to use all your troop cards. So you couldn't even fight all the troops to try to fight against all the other guys mm-hmm. and not have all the siege engines come down to the bottom. Yeah. And like, holy crap, you had to look at a lot of stuff. Yeah, but, you do. But but that was fun. So, I mean, even if you don't do your greatest on the solo play, just like the regular game campaign is makes it even more interesting. Yeah, it does. It ramps it up. It it, it, it forces you to do different strategies, too, to kind of help defeat the game and also defend yourself, too. So you've got that you've got that push and pull of like, OK, do I go on the offensive the whole time and try not to, and try to get everything before the fortress gets destroyed? Or do I sit back and try to defend my fortress so it doesn't get destroyed too much? But then I'm not attacking the siege engines that much and stuff like that. Or do I try to get that balance that I can? Meanwhile, trying to roll the dice and get the like great dice rolls as you're trying to do it too. So if you roll crappy, if you don't have some of the cards that manipulate it, then you're kind of you're in deep doo doo. Well, and you can't manipulate it every time. So, yeah. like I said at the beginning, it's all about balance. Yeah, it's totally about balance. Like you have to find that happy medium, and you have to find stuff that complements each other to be able to make it happen. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, definitely. Uh, eventful game yeah definitely yeah it it really makes you think it really has a lot of strategy in it you really have to be on top of it it's like it's not one of those solo games that's like well i can just do whatever it's like you have to really be on top of it otherwise you lose yep you know well and there's a lot of i feel like there's a lot of meat and potatoes to it too Mm -hmm. yeah because you have to that was one thing we kept forgetting is like 
you have to roll. And then you have to address the siege engines. And then you have to flip the event card. And then you can play. Yeah. But sometimes we'd forget the event because some of the games we played, we didn't play with events because we wanted to uh, play the game without that first. Yeah. That's kind of like a, they suggest to not use the events at first to kind of like get used to the game kind of thing. Yeah. So trying to remember that stuff was crazy. Yeah, it was. I feel if I feel like if you're looking for a challenging solo game, you will find it here. Yes. For sure. Agreed. The second game that we were able to preview for Daily Magic Games is Thrones of Valeria. This is a trick-taking game by Matt Jacobs and, again, art by The Miko. I love it. How many people does this one play? This one plays... This one plays two to six players. Um, you also... They also have a variant, I think, for teams, which is cool. They do. They do. So in this game, what you're doing is you are... You have a board where it kind of has the house standings. So each house of Valeria has a different color and a different shape. And you're placing these at first in a random order from they have like a victory point value. They have five, three, one, negative one, and three. And you'll. Negative three. And and negative three. Sorry. (laughs) What? I don't know why I said that. Anyway. And then you'll place those tokens there. Well, the name of this game is taking taking your hand of cards, and each card represents a certain character class, basically. So you have, like, a rogue, and you have, like, a jester, and you're going to have... An assassin? Assassin and stuff yeah. like that. And each card manipulates a certain way things go. So, like, you've got these victory points for getting your tricks, so you can manipulate how, 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 how the standings are placed, basically. And meanwhile, you're tr- you know trying to take some of these tricks, but then some of the tricks you're not trying to take because you don't want the negative points during the game. Based on the house standings in the middle of the board. That's true. Yeah. Right. Yep. But to take the tricks, you're you're collecting silver or you're collecting gold mm-hmm. along the way. But even if you don't take the trick, you can still collect silver or gold based on the card you're playing. That's right. Yep. One of the biggest examples of this is for the manipulation part is the jester, where you can pay one, two, or three to be able to win the trick. But you're also paying money to get money. That It's that kind of thing. Like, you know, you... Hopefully, Sounds slimy. It does really. It really does. Because most of the time you're trying to, you're using these gestures to try to get the most amount of points during the game. But again, with manipulation, it might, it might uh, mess things up. There's other, other cards that help kind of manipulate. Like I think one is I'm trying to think of the one that holds the standings in place. I can't remember. You take a token and um, you place on it. You've got the Condotier, who can unlock or, or who can lock or unlock one of those house standings. So I, I kind of like that too because if somebody else has another eight, they can unlock that uh, house standing, and then other people will be able to manipulate that stuff like that. So yep, I like because, that because because then the assassin can come into play and they can move one of the house's standings um, up. 
So basically what they're doing is they're shifting the other houses up and one down. So let's say you wanted the house that was going to gain five coins. You wanted them to get negative three or take away three coins. You could move them to the bottom and shift everybody else up. Yeah. Because you wanted, instead of three coins, you wanted the fiver. Mm -hmm. Fiver? The five (laughs) five coins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another one I really like, too, that's actually really hard to use is the alchemist. If you use the alchemist, which is a six, if you win that trick with a six, then you're going to get five coins regardless. No, no, it's six coins. Six coins. Oh, six coins. I'm sorry. You get six coins. For that trick, regardless of the house standings, which I think is cool. I've been, I was able to use that one once. Yeah. yeah that yeah. it worked to my advantage. But otherwise, sometimes it's not, you're not able to use that. Yeah, it's, re- it's really tricky. But then basically what, what happens, and I don't think you said this yet, everybody's dealt their cards. And then once somebody runs out of cards, that round is done. Mm-hmm. So... The number of cards varies that people may have at the end of the turn or at the end of the round, excuse me, because there's other cards in their hand that can manipulate the number of cards that they're holding. Mm -hmm. So there's one where you draw three, I think, and you pick one. There's one where you draw three and you pick one and then you return the other two to the stack. So then that person already has an additional card, one more than the rest of the players would have. So, and if you had multiple necromancers, which I think is what that card is, Mm -hmm. then I could still have two cards in my hand at the end of the round and Kurt could be out. Yeah, exactly. So not everybody's ever going to get rid of their cards. So you kind of have to think about that when you're trying to win tricks and play your cards and try to win the house and stuff like that too yeah exactly and and just like and again we didn't really talk about it too much but it's it's just if you know what a trick-taking game is it's basically following the suit and if you can't follow the suit then you can play a card that is of another color but then you can you know that will help manipulate the game and stuff like that but you just won't win the trick that turn unless something changes but you can still take the action on the card Yes. So I think there's like a card where you play it and you can collect two silver coins. Yes. And so that might be beneficial if you can't match suit. Yeah, exactly. Because you know you're still going to be collecting something. Yeah. Yep. So then you you play, what is it, I think two rounds before the game was over? Or is it three? Oh, no, it's two. So then you are playing two rounds of the game. So then... After round two is over, you count how many points you have or how many coins you have, and whoever has the most coins wins. Again, going with uh, more players, too, you can also do teams, which would be kind of fun, too. We didn't actually, I don't think we ever played the team play on it just because we couldn't get enough players at the time. But Well, and they say in team play, it's exactly like individual play. Yeah. Except that you work subtly with the other person. Yeah, which is cool. Which is other, I feel like other trick-taking games would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like in a standard card game. Yeah. Well, except for the fact that you technically can't talk with your player, you know, with your other player about what you're playing and stuff like that, so. Yeah, but that's the same in like a Hoyo game. Mm-hmm. That's true. So. So, yeah. So that is, in a nutshell, Thrones of Valeria. 
Yeah, uh, it's it's cool to see a trick-taking game in the Valeria realm. I, there's, you know, we haven't had that yet, so it's kind of cool that they're going outside of the box. You know, not just doing the you know regular dice and card game with the Valer- most of the Valeria games that they have. So it's kind of cool to see this is a little something different, and then it's not only has not only has the same amount of cards that you would have like your you know your one through whatever, but it's got those gestures that kind of help kind of manipulate the game in itself so yeah it's nice to nice to see something like that if you're in the market for additions to games in your valeria collection check out kickstarter coming soon i think they're aiming for mid-november yeah i think that's what they were looking at for one of these two games even though they're going to roll out three. We just don't know about the third one. (laughs) These two games, we have Thrones of Valeria and Siege of Valeria, which also includes the campaign mode for Siege of Valeria because you don't want to miss out. That's true. And thanks again to Daily Magic Games for letting us have these prototypes. They're fantastic-looking prototypes. the best prototype we've ever received, I think. (laughs) Yeah, which is awesome. Like, holy cow, the cards were sleeved and... Everything. Yeah, so. just everything looks nice, and the art. So fancy. The art is amazing. I, they say that the art could kind of change, just a tweaked a little bit, but I mean, you can't go wrong with art from the Miko. I love yeah. saying that. Well, yeah, it's amazing as usual, and it it fits right in their collection of art. For sure. With all the other Valeria games out there. Definitely. So. So make sure you check that out. If you have any questions for us, make sure you check us on Twitter at MFGCast or at Mrs. Og. You can find us on Instagram. I am KT Omular and you are Tracy Omular on Instagram. But yeah, make sure you go check this stuff out if you're in the market. And until next time, I'm Kurt. And I'm Tracy. And this was the MFGCast. Thanks for listening, everybody. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.